0: Good morning, podcast listeners. This is Ed Franklin with the edfranklin.nolimits podcast. You can always contact me at edfranklin.nolimits at gmail.com. Um, I'm reciprocating, or I should say John's reciprocating. John Riley, my guest today from the John Riley Project, has uh, agreed to come on my podcast, and I was on his a couple of weeks ago, and we had a great time. And And he's he's much more of a pro at this than I am. Um, we were just kind of talking about planning and how I never have a plan. And he sometimes does and sometimes let it get organic, right? So um, this is gonna be a good podcast. I know because John and I, uh, we have a lot in common and a lot a lot we don't have in common, and we're kind of learning from each other. So welcome, John. I appreciate you being on my podcast.
1: Well, Ed, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our time. What was it two weeks ago? Yeah. And it's a lot of fun to, you know, kind of share the love. And so I'm I'm pleased to be here with you today.
0: Yeah. And this is one of those things, you know, when I was running a chamber, I never felt like I was in competition with other chambers, just like I'm not in competition with other podcasts, right? Oh, yeah. um, I'd love to be in competition with like, you know, Rogan or something like that. I'd love to have that competition because I'd have a million listeners too, but In time, in time, we'll get to there. So, um, first of all,
1: cooperation is better than competition. Of Uh, course, we can help each other, and and really, isn't that really how the economy really works? It's more about cooperation than it is competition.
0: It is. It's collaboration, cooperation, all those things, and that's how I kind of always felt about other chambers was collaborating with them. So, um, first of all, I'd like you just to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your podcast, and then your side hustle, or maybe this is a side hustle. I'm not sure. So give us, give everybody a little bit of background on what you do.
1: Sure. Well, well, thanks, Ed. Um, Yeah. My name's John Riley. I, I host a podcast called the John Riley project. We started this, well, we, I started this in the summer of 2018 and really just, I wanted to learn some new things. I wanted to try some things. I wanted to challenge myself and I had been listening and watching other podcasts. And I said to myself, you know, I can do this. So I did it. And uh, we I got some of the gear. And uh, we we started the uh, first episode was in September of 2018. And it was perfect timing. We were interviewing some of our local political candidates for school board and city council and mayor. And, and that worked out great. And, and since then, we've put out about 250 episodes. Wow. Uh, really focusing on what I like to say, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we get into um, business and entrepreneurship. We also talk about politics and culture. I like to explore some local issues in our hometown of Poway, as well as national and regional issues. So um, it's really all about improving our lives, both personally and professionally, and having some fun and meeting some new people along the way. Good. And you've been in Poway how long? since 1996
0: oh so quite a while you've been here quite a while and you're down from where the bay area right
1: yeah born and raised in the san francisco bay area came down here to go to uc san diego in the early 80s and and just never left i just kind of fell in love with san diego
0: so it's funny um so how i became aware of you is we were doing a political uh what was that called where we had all the candidates come like a What the heck was that called with the chamber?
1: Well, they were like there were there were candidate forums, or that's what it was. Candidate candidate forums, you know.
0: And I had seen you interview a a couple of the. I'd watched some of your podcasts on Facebook, um, interviewing some of the uh, candidates, and I can tell you, I I always did this joke about lawyers and politicians that I liked about three and three point five of them, right? I don't. I'll probably never have a politician on here, not because I don't think. A lot of them are good people. I was with two of them on Friday at Vern's, uh, at Vern's service. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to get into that because um, I, it's just not my wheelhouse. I just don't want to get into yeah. it. So, uh, I kudos to you for being able to do that. And you're pretty even tempered. I'm, I'm not so even tempered. I might go sideways on somebody if I if I had a politician <laughs> on here.
1: <laughs> well. Again, I, well, if we don't want to go in the rabbit hole, of the politics, that's fine. But I'll just say this, that one of the reasons that I, I started the podcast, and there's a long list of reasons, but one mm-hmm. of them was to have sort of a community forum where we can right. discuss a lot of these topics that are political, might be societal, but we can do it while respecting the other side. So. We are listening as much, you know, twice as much as we're talking. You know, we use our ears and and our mouth in proportion to the quantity we have. Right. Um, And I wanted it to be something where, you know, the public could be educated. We could listen. We can ask questions. And it's not a bunch of screaming, talking heads like you see on cable news.
0: Yeah, that's getting uh, to be the norm the last 18 months, two years, right? And you and I can talk about politics. I would just with a. I would rather not go down that with a politician. We'll yeah, say it that way. It, it can um, get a
1: little tricky with some of them. So yeah, yeah, I understand.
0: So you do marketing also. Yes. What type of marketing do you do?
1: So the name of my business is Trigger Direct, and I do a lot of lead generation. So um, do a lot in the world of direct marketing with databases. Um, Those data files are often used to drive catalog mailers, um, direct mail campaigns, email campaigns. I also do a lot of consulting with other clients where I sit in their chair as a director of marketing or digital marketing. And I do a lot of um, paid search campaigns, web development, just a a lot of different things. Um, And that was the beauty of of putting the podcast together because it's kind of a natural extension of some of the work I'm doing in marketing.
0: Do you do any SMS stuff, messaging? Uh, Are you getting into that at all?
1: Yeah, I actually have one client where I do that kind of work for them and we've built up a nice database of people that have opted in to their text messaging database. And then they send those messages out and it's a great success because, you know, when you do email marketing, open rates can be really challenging. You know, if you're getting 20% open rates, that's pretty good. Um, where most people are getting 10% or less, where SMS text messaging, over 90% of people I know. open them.
0: That's why I asked, because it's such good. That people do open text messages. When I was at the chamber, one of the first things I did was started limiting how much communication we did. For this reason, I think they were over-communicating with, with our database, and we went from 20 to about 32% open rate. So we cut back on our emails and made them. And The other thing we were doing, which was funny, that we changed is I was encouraging the gal that was there that was doing the emails to put a picture behind the email, right? Like an American flag or Christmas tree, or whatever it was at the time of the year. And our open rates went way up from doing that to get a different look on that email. Do you do anything like that, in any kind of graphics that go behind those emails?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the, the email content is text and graphics, but are you like, talking about emojis in the subject line or we
0: used to put a um, banner on our emails that would the, that's the first thing you would see in an email is that banner we're not going to talk about marketing for now i swear to you i just i just had this that's just an interesting question that something oh. we tried and it worked
1: well that's the beauty of marketing is that you test and you experiment yeah. and you're like a chemist in a laboratory and you find out what works um and so yeah, I mean, a lot of people obviously do seasonal marketing, and they will show relevant graphics during that time of the year, and it definitely gets people to notice it and pay attention. So yeah, I mean, good for you. That, that's a good strategy.
0: Yeah, okay. So you've been here over 20 years in Poway. Um, I'm actually not in Poway, but I, I grew up here. Mm-hmm. You, uh, what do you think about what's going on in Poway? What do you, when you look at the landscape and what's changed over the last 24, 25 years?
1: You know I, I probably have a different opinion than most um you know i, I think Poway is a great city i mean i i chose to my wife and i chose to uh move here before we had children because we knew this was going to be a great place to raise kids yeah good school system you know just generally a good culture in the community but you know parts of Poway were still kind of stuck in the past yeah and for some, you know, that was what, what made it magical, that made it special, is that it retained a lot of that old, old country charm. For me, that wasn't a very big deal. I know you said previously that, you know, you, you, you were from an area that where it was a lot of concrete, right, mm-hmm. um, in a big city environment. And I was from, you know, suburban San Francisco, so, you know, my values may be a little different than a lot of the old-time Powijians that really valued the country. I always saw Poway Road as an area that was just sort of a mess. It was kind of a mishmash. So the fact that there is upgrades going on around our city, to me, that's very refreshing. Um, to me, that's a sign of progress, that we are improving our, our um, environment around us. We are upgrading, as you were. And then at the same time, we're providing a lot more housing opportunities, so other people can move to Poway and enjoy it, just for the same reasons that my family did. Um, we have a housing crisis throughout the state of California, yeah. and the more housing we build, I think is going to reduce a lot of that pressure. Um, so, and then you know, again, kind of more on a political angle, I'm a big property rights guy. So, if someone owns the land, they should be able to build on it. You know, so. I'm a, I'm generally supportive, but it's a struggle going through the change. There's a lot of disruption, and I know that ruffles a lot of feathers, and it's difficult. But I think once we get through it, it's going to be it's going to turn out way better than a lot of the pessimists believe.
0: Well, and I was all I'm on board with it. It's not. I think what what the maybe the thing at the thorn in people's side is that it's happening so quickly. And it looks like they just all of a sudden made these decisions. I told you, I don't know if I told you during the podcast, but there was a, a, a person came to the chamber. This is before I was running the chamber and told us about all these changes that were going to made. And they're nothing like the ones that they made. They, they had another plan. Back when we were remodeling our house, I was in the office a lot over there at the planning department and they had a whole different plan for this. So it, it's gone the other way. I just think it happens so quick and a lot of things are going on at one time. Barry Leonard said to me the other day, you know, progress is messy. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I just know that if I go to Poway today, I'll see probably three to five people that I went to high school with. That's, people stayed in Poway. If they didn't, they either didn't move out or their parents passed away or they took their house or bought their house. I had bought my parents' house. So I could literally in a week see 25 people I went to high school with. And then our kids all went to school together and then I met them through sports and things. So um, there's people been here a long time. I mean, I was in Poway since 1974. Vern moved there in 1973. So we, there's a lot of us. Um, I have a friend of mine that was born in Poway. He lived around the corner from me. I've known him since I was 12. So those are the ones that are seeing this. And I think it feels like they weren't communicated to, they had an option to get communicated to, but they, you know, I think they feel like they weren't the it wasn't communicated very well.
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to respectfully disagree. Um, you know, I think that the, the city council had been talking about doing this transformation of Poway Road for a very long time. In fact, it was frequently discussed before the Great Recession. And then when that hit, it kind of threw the wheels off of their plan. But I think in the mid 20 teens, I, I don't know, 2015, 2016, something like that. They started to form a plan. Um, They invited a lot of community input, but not too many people participated.
0: No, that's what I'm saying. I agree. I'm I'm agreeing that they did communicate. the 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 perception is they didn't. Yeah, it's it was it was the it was society's fault. It was the community's fault for not listening.
1: Yeah, because because they had talked about about it it in the Poway chieftain. there's there's vibrant conversation about it online even before they did any groundbreaking. Um, but you know, we're all busy with our lives, you know, I know. you know, and we're going to work and raising children and sometimes we don't pay attention. And then the next thing, you know, you start seeing, you know, the framing of these condos going up and you're like, holy moly, what's going on here?
0: No, I a hundred percent agree that the, it was there. It just didn't happen. You know, I had a, I uh, I was in the office one day sitting there doing my work. I get a call from a, my girl, high school girlfriend's mother. She calls me at the at the chamber and says, Why did they close Cocos? I said, Close, why did who close Cocos? She says, Why did the city close Cocos? I said, this, this is but this is the perception people have. I said, the city didn't yes. close Cocos. Cocos wasn't a, you know, wasn't doing any business. And Cocos closed Cocos, right? Right. And well, I and that, but like that was 10 years. I know. And that was just the I agree. The information was out there. People just weren't getting it right. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, it's then when sticks start going up, they're like, uh oh, what's that for them? And yeah. they're not, if you drive around, and it's funny going into the computer age, if you drove around Poway, uh, I think they get their paper. In our neighborhood, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, we'd get our paper. If you drove around the neighborhood, most of the papers are still in the driveway. Right? Yeah. And then on trash day, they throw them away. So no one's they're They might have had a good uh, distribution, but readers, there wasn't that many readers, but um, no, you're right. And so I'm going to take you on another tangent, get off power for a second, but we'll talk about communication. I was in bonds the other day and their computers were down and this kid kept getting on the computer, getting on the microphone saying, Hey, our computers are down. Our computers are down Everybody, three minutes and just be patient this and that. So i saw him yesterday at bond i said you know i was here during that little fiasco you had and i was patient i wasn't in a hurry to go anywhere and he says well you know what? i said he says the key is is to communicate with people and i said this is the key of life right it's always about communication whether it's a marriage or a business relationship i did a podcast on expectations about how we don't communicate expectations to people and At the end of the day, when we don't agree, we're like, well, you, um, somebody said to me one time, your expectations are too high for me. I said, yours aren't high enough for yourself. That's where sometimes we get into that situation, right? Marketing, all communication, right? We're communicating what we're trying to tell people about our product, giving credibility about our product, things like that. And I've been in sales a long time. 100% communication, it's always just about talking to people. And when you do that, it always makes life easier. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. Um, But I think it has to be effective communication, not just communication for communication's sake. I think you realize that at the chamber when you reduce the quantity of emails you sent. Um, Yes. You know, so you have to be effective. You have to deliver the right message to the right people at just the right time. But, uh, you know, I think you hit on it previously. A lot of it is about setting expectations um, because when those expectations fail to be set, then you end up with a lot of upsets. So, um, yeah, you're right. It's all about communication and the communication needs to be effective.
0: So this is one of these. uh, I'm involved with two different companies that – and we're going to be using my podcast for the – part of this platform is to supply a supplemental education for high school students, college students, something outside of the realm that they're not teaching now. Not that the system's doing a bad job. There's just some other things because of technology. Our kids, I would say 15 to 30 year old kids right now are not as good of communicators as we were. We were forced to be when we were 15 to 30 years old, right? We didn't have texting we didn't have all these things so we had to learn how to communicate with each other and as the workforce as they enter the workforce they definitely have a, there's a lack of communication there so this these um, supplemental income pieces are a, a supplement, supplemental. supplemental uh, education pieces are about you know learning how to communicate with a different generation yeah which is so important. Um, you have how many kids, but they're grown,
1: right? And I you're... have two children and they have both left the nest.
0: Left the nest. What's that like?
1: <laughs> you know, I have two grandchildren here now. It's funny. I mean, my children are 23 and 21. Yeah. And one of them is, is my daughter is a CPA and she's on her own and has a career. And I'm just so proud of her. And my son is still in college. He's at the University of Oklahoma. And we're really pleased with his his launching uh, trajectory. I think it's going to be great too. But it's been a big adjustment going from having children where they are completely everything that you live through. Um, You live vicariously through your children. You support your children. Everything. And then suddenly they're gone. And then you have this large house and there's suddenly a lot of space. But I'll tell you what, for me, it's been a refreshing change personally. Um, I mean, of course, I miss my children, and I love my kids, and, and I want the best for them. But it's given me a lot of free time to do things like podcasting, to try new things. Um, and then, you know, really, my house is a lot cleaner, which is a good thing. Right.
0: Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a big family, obviously. and we have. I have one grandchild here, part-time, and one full-time. We've been raising him for 12 years. And that's strange because as we get involved with his friends' parents, they're my kids' age, right? So if I go to a some kind of sporting event or a, I don't know a meeting, I'm now most people think that's my son, but and, and not because I'm so young or anything; I'm grandfather aged. But it's just funny to uh, communicate with those kids and the t- and the parents. The so funny thing I was one of my my oldest daughter went to. We had to go to a, like a back to school night at Poway High School, and I asked this kid. I said, "Hey, do you know when the teacher's going to be here?" And he says, "I am the teacher." Right? He was like twenty five years old or something, twenty four years old, and that was uh, that was odd to me, right? Um, and now that really happens a lot. So these teachers that are teaching my grandkids are obviously much younger than I am, and it's back to that. You know, how do you communicate with these kids? Now, of course. They tend to be better communicators. They're kind of in the business of communicating. Hopefully, as a teacher, but uh, it is odd. We had a we had a um, graduation or a engagement party here on uh, Sunday for one of my daughters, and it was or Saturday, and it was. Uh, I liked being around that youth. Right, they have some great ideas. They have some nice insights in life, and we had some. You know, I really liked being around people like that. And that's who my podcast really ultimately went, I wanted to be targeted to is that age group, that 18 to, you know, maybe 35 or 40 years old is where I'm headed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have, do you have a specific um, uh, demographic you're looking to send your podcast out to?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think about that a lot, because I I will say this, sometimes I cover so many different topics in my podcast that I, I really break some Core marketing rules, you know, mm-hmm. that I really preach um, separately in my career because I'm not really going after a very specific um, audience. But I've been trying to shift that. I've been trying to focus more, and it really lands in the space of, of people that I think are self starters, that are entrepreneurs, that are people that want to see improvement in their personal and business life. So for me, that tends to be people that are more middle aged. Um, rather than young, um, I would hope that young people would pay attention, but often they're listening to very different podcast uh, content than what I offer. So I've tried to find a, a sort of a, you know, like a Venn diagram of overlapping circles where there are people that are on the business side that are entrepreneurial, but on the, on the political side tend to be more freedom centric free market. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really my sweet spot where I think my message resonates the most.
0: So a funny thing, <laughs> when I look at my listeners' age, they're usually my age, more so than younger people, right? It's about 50-50. Um, I when this whole thing started and I had these pillars, right? This telling your story, that's a big sales thing. That's just a big life thing. You should have, you should always know what your story is and make sure you're telling yourself the right story because there's two ways to tell a story, right? You can tell the bad news, you can tell the good news. About getting over limitations. I felt like I had nothing to offer a CEO that was 60, 65 years old. Right. I just they've either they're either checking out because they're ready to retire, or they've learned enough. I can't really offer them anything. But I could offer a 25 year old something that's starting a family or getting into the workforce. Um so that was really kind of where my thing was headed. was, look, use my knowledge. I've made some errors in life. Let's see if we can you know, get you over some hurdles that you might be running up against. And kids that had that entrepreneurial spirit but didn't have the confidence or the uh, self-esteem to kind of get over that and do what they would love to do. I've had to do some jobs in my life to feed my kids that I didn't really like, right? That's just what we have to do with with our kids. I've been let go of jobs from jobs that I didn't like, that I wasn't performing because I didn't have that, I wasn't engaged you know so I really am a true believer that you should do something you love right if you do something you love it because it's not work anymore it's you tend to put a lot more into it than you need to uh, than then it's required right I, I hate I hate the, uh well it's not my job you know I, I hate that saying I hate that attitude when you're in a place and people won't do whatever they have to do to get the job done Have you, how long have you had your marketing business?
1: I've been in the marketing industry since the early nineties. I've had my own business. I've been self-employed since 04. Oh, wow. So So a long time. I've been in it for quite a while. Yeah.
0: And that's all here in San Diego, obviously. Um, Do you work with a lot of businesses in Poway?
1: I have, um, you know, I've, I've definitely done a lot of business with some locals um, here in town um, on Poway road in the business park. Um, for the most part, though, my business has evolved outside of Poway, where I think there's a lot larger clientele that I'm oh, sure. to be a better fit for.
0: So we had about 35% of the members of Poway Chamber are outside of Poway. Mm. And I was always conscious of that. We did a, we did a buy local kind of um, campaign. And I said, you know, you have to be careful. We're not talking about buying uh, local just in Poway because then we'd piss off 35% of our group, right? It was spending money in your neighborhood that's gonna go back to your neighborhood, right? The taxes and things like that. So um, I try to do that. I try to buy local, I try to buy small sometimes, but it's hard to buy small, especially during COVID because people's inventories are low. We had a hard time finding, we just bought some kayaks. We had a hard time finding things like that. Amazon is so tempting, you know, and uh, we use Amazon a lot, which I know, I might've just lost 10 listeners by saying that, but they're all listening, they're all using it too. So, or it wouldn't be that big. Um, Some of the, one of the questions I always ask my guests are about leadership and greatness. Okay. Um, Do you think leaders are born or do you think they're developed? I know I'm throwing you a curveball. It's
1: a good question. Um, I definitely developed. I think a lot of that comes from your parents. A lot of it comes from your mentors that you have in the early stages of your career. But I don't necessarily think there is a leadership DNA, um, you know, chromosome that right. uh, defines it. So, yeah, definitely developed, is my opinion.
0: Now, greatness, I was talking about this during Burns' uh, podcast. Um, to me, greatness is defined by putting these little moments together, right? They've been called holy moments, they've been called whatever. And this is something. I don't think Vern ever woke up or any great person ever wakes up and says, I'm going to be great today. And this is how I'm going to become great. They just keep stringing those positive things together. Those, those little moments. And it's the more they string together, they become a leader on accident, right? Vern was not, and I'm also just using Vern. Cause I know, you know, him. Mm-hmm. he was not this uh, boisterous walk into a room, you know, Vern was there kind of thing, but he was, so kind he would just walk around and meet everybody and say hello to everybody and he just left his mark anywhere he went because he was consistent and he was kind and he did all those right things so have you ever worked so another question i ask people i was thinking one day about teachers i had through my i didn't. i went to college but i went to become a police officer like late in my late 30s uh, excuse me, late 20s. And um, I don't really remember anybody from there because I knew a couple of the cops that were teachers. But during my high school, junior high, elementary school, I can only really think of two teachers that really stuck out. And I thought that was a sad statement, that only two teachers really stuck out in my in my school career. I thought that it should have been a lot more. Can you have anybody that might have stuck out like that when you were coming up?
1: Um I do. Um, but if, if you don't mind, I, I will answer that question, but I want to go back to the Vern Marston. Do whatever you want. Yeah. For just a moment. And you know, you're talking about leaders, if they are, um, you know, are they born or are they developed? And that kind of goes back to the whole nature versus nurture conversation that we often hear. But I think Vern is a great example of someone that breaks that model because, We all have free will. We all have the ability into what you said earlier is to wake up in the morning and decide this is what I'm going to do today. Mm -hmm. I have control over my own life. I'm going to make decisions that are in my own self-interest, and I'm going to go out and share the good news. And that is exactly what Vern did. Um, To me, he was a leader in his own kind of way. Um, and I, I always had great respect for him. Every engagement I had with Vern Marston was positive, was yeah. fulfilling, was lifting. And he was a leader. He may, he may not have had the title of the leadership when I met him, but he exhibited all of those traits. And I think it's because of the choices that he made.
0: Doesn't that the isn't, doesn't that make the best leaders though? The, the ones that, and it's kind of the definition of a leader is someone who's doing what they're asking you to do or not even asking you, they're just setting an example of being that in that leadership role.
1: Yeah. Well, you see that like, you know, in sports teams where there are quiet leaders that lead by example. Um, There are others that are, that are, that are, um, you know, more outspoken in in their leadership. I, I think Vern was a good example of someone that did both. He walked the walk and well, he talked the talk, but he also walked the walk. Um, And I think we all learned a great deal from Vern. Um, To me, you know, very special man in Poway uh, for our city, for the Poway Chamber, and um, and definitely an example of of a really important leader. Um, But going Mm -hmm. back to your original question about teachers in high school, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, here I am, I'm 56 years old, and you have to roll the clock back quite a bit to the time when I was in high school. But there was one teacher in particular that I will never, ever forget. And um, his name was Mr. Blakesley. He was my geometry teacher. So this was in sophomore year. Um, And I remember that almost every time we were in class, he spoke about um, for the first 10 or 15 minutes of class every day about how important it was to go to college. And really what he was telling us was, was to not just to go through life and drift. You know, he was telling us, take control of your life, pursue an education, pursue a career, you know, essentially, you know, take the reins of, of your life and, and move forward, you know, take control. And really the start of all that was to go to college. And I'll never forget that. And when I was in the 10th grade, um, I had no... Idea of, about going to college. It wasn't something that anyone in my family ever did, but because of his inspiration, because of Mr. Blakesley's leadership, I pursued college and my life changed dramatically.
0: Well, I want to get on that topic in a minute. You just brought up something that's interesting. And, and I have a little bit different opinion about that. The other question I have, I've asked people, like that teacher question, is, Have you ever worked for a really good leader, And I have to embarrassingly kind of say I've really never worked for anybody that I looked up to as a leader that, that helped me. And maybe I wasn't looking, but I just never have worked for a really good leader.
1: Hmm.
0: And I don't know if you have, but I just never have been in a position where I looked at somebody and said, man, I would follow that guy through fire. Right. It just, or the girl, it doesn't matter either way. Um, I should say woman. I wouldn't work for girls. I didn't, you know. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So, and and I think that's sad because I think there they t- there's a lot more talk about leadership these days and and the lack of leadership and, and things like that. And you know, as a father, you had to lead your family, right? Yes. And your wife had to lead the family. And, um, and I don't mean to keep harping on Vern, but think about a military family like his that he had. He was gone, right? This these mothers had to step up and do. Everything that the, both parents had to do to get them through. My, You know, my dad was only in the Navy for seven years, so it wasn't as much as some of these. My stepdad was 20 years in the, in the service, and he was a navigator, so he was on a ship. He was never not on a ship. So his wife had to raise five kids and, you know, try to do the best she can and hold everything together. So, yeah, it's sad, and I, and I tried. There was one person that I thought, I didn't work for him. He was, I worked for, I was a manufacturer's rep. But he ran this company that we repped. And he was an interesting guy. Um, I'm always surprised when people like this guy were such a good leader and they never had children. It gets kind of hard. Not that they can't be good leaders without kids, but I think kids just change, kids changed my life completely. Oh yeah. Um, sure. When we started having children, it was just like my whole life went the other direction in a good way, right? made me a better person and and it's funny we said about getting up every morning every morning i post something positive on facebook probably yeah. 360 days a year i might take a couple of days off at the holidays but i do that for me and i also uh, it's at the point where if i don't do it for a week i'll get people texting me and messaging me and say ed are you okay you know i will see a post so i have people that are kind of following those things and, um well
1: you know what's um, what's great about those posts that you make is Certainly, you're sharing positive news. Um, you're evangelizing mm-hmm. a positive message to your circle of followers, which is great. But you get a lot of benefit from it, I'm sure, yourself. Um, that message, one
0: hundred percent,
1: that boosts you. I mean, it's it's um, it's helpful for you, and and then helping others is almost like the bonus, the icing on the cake.
0: Well, I can um, tell you, I didn't start doing it for others. I started doing it for me. I'm just yes, being honest.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And then then other people were going, oh, Ed, man, I needed this today. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know you were paying attention kind of thing. Yes. And I'm looking around my office. I have, you know, other ones that, that are up here. And I, I just feel like you should be filling your stuff with that stuff all the time. It's not even a mantra or anything like that. It's just that you can, I mean, I get, sometimes I get to a point where I'm like, I'm done, you know, with whatever. And then I'm like, no, I got to keep going for these these other people or for myself or for my kids. They're watching me. My grandkids are watching me, things like that. So college, interesting uh, thing. When I grew up, I am 59, so I'm not too much ahead of you. We had, I don't think anybody, none of our kids went to college. My parents didn't go to college. We must have had some educated relatives somewhere. I don't know where they were, but it was not a it wasn't a big deal not to go to college. You know, you go to work, you do good at work. You, I used to work nights nice, and my dad remember woke me up at 10 o'clock at night one time and said, Ed, you got to go to work. I said, no, I'm, I'm off today. He says, no, if they just called and they needed you, you're going to work. I told him you'd be there in 30 minutes. Kind of, you got to show up. If you keep showing up, you'll move up. And I did. Um, and then went on to some other jobs and kept getting promoted and kept building myself up and did take some classes here and there, but not we never took that college route only, and four of my kids, three of my kids, three of my kids have gone to college, have degrees. So were your kids destined to go to college, whether they wanted to or not?
1: (laughs) Well, we certainly beat them over the head throughout their childhood that they were going to college because both my wife and I did. So for us, you know, back in our time, you know, a very small percentage of high school students went to college. Yeah, I graduated high school in 1982. So back then, if you were college educated, that was a very key differentiating point. So it had a huge advantage at the time. Now, you know, things have changed now. So um, there's a lot more people going to college. There's a lot of alternatives to college that I think can be very, very beneficial for some people um, that didn't exist back in the 80s. But for our children, it was important for us to reinforce that message that they needed to go on and get a degree. Now, thankfully, they shared in that in that approach the friends they associated with in high school, and they all went to college, too. So it was all kind of part of this track that they were on. Yeah. Um, and so that's just kind of how it worked with us. Um, and we're pleased with the results that we're getting.
0: So, yeah, it's funny. I had um, – I never – yeah, we, we talked about it. And if the kids wanted to go, we were there to help them. Um, I had this philosophy, which I kind of share with marriages too, by the way, is I was not going to pay for you to go to college and drink, right? Well, yeah. Not that I didn't have drinkers or anything. I just thought, if you really want to put your skin in the game, you pay for it. We'll help you. You know, We helped with junior college and stuff like that. And uh, my daughter went to Tulane, put herself to Tulane. My son went to USD, has a master's at USD in computer tech. And I have another daughter that has a degree from Cal State San Marcos. So in computer business, uh, computer stuff. So, um, yeah, we it just was not even a topic when I got out of high school. I mean, there was, I didn't want to go to college. My parents didn't encourage us or discourage us either way. They thought that it was kind of horseshit a little bit in one way, you know
1: well it, it's interesting how you know families have their own culture and, and mm. families families have you know, family values families have their own values on what's important um, I was like you I, I came from a family it was blue collar my my stepfather was a truck driver my mom was a was an accounting clerk for a trucking company so we came from very modest means um, I got a little bit of help from my parents uh, for going away to college, but I paid for the lion's share of it by working all the way through. Um, For our kids, we've been a little bit different. We've we've saved. We put some money away. um, You know, taking some of our earnings aside for college, but only to cover the basics. You know, to cover their rent, their um, tuition, their books. And they knew exactly how much they were getting every month and they had to, they were required to budget for themselves. And if they needed extra money, well, then you needed to go get a job. Um, And that's really worked very well for our family.
0: Yeah. And my kids worked through school. They all worked through school. My daughter, Samantha, my oldest daughter is in Louisiana. She was in a, she works for Jefferson Parish, excuse me, St. Charles Parish, who took the direct hit from IDA. So oh, wow. she's the communications director for the government there. Oh, and she was in a bunker the whole weekend, kind of a protected building. Um, and now, her uh, is helping with the efforts to get people back squared away. So I think she likes politics, So she could see her being a senator or something. I'm not kidding. One of these days, maybe the maybe the first woman president. We'll see. Um, oh.
1: Hopefully she'll take some of your important lessons about communication to heart. I mean, that's what she does in her career.
0: Well, she's, and she's very good at it. I mean, she's definitely cut from the mold, same mold I am. So um, it was funny because, you know, people will say, well, how can you get up and talk in front of people? I said, well, I mean, I had to get over it, right? When I first did it, it was weird, right? But you just get over it. You just start talking to five people in the audience instead of 5,000. I wish I was talking to 5,000. But um, you just get over those things. And my daughter's getting over that. She uh, She's 30. She'll be 35 this year. So she's kind of, she's past it. But she definitely, she has to get on TV all the time and do these things. And, you know, she's been on Facebook doing stuff. So anyway. My son, much more, he's a cybersecurity guy. So he he does, he stops people from stealing, basically. Before they can steal he tries to block them right and we know that's a big business but there's so many trades out there now that are being left behind um, that I I could that this educational uh, thing what I'm doing encourages kids to look at those trades too and look at entrepreneurship and things like that because <clears throat> not everybody's cut out to go to college um, well,
1: I think regardless of where you get your education you need to continue to be learning. You 100% require rare and specialized skills that will make you marketable, um, in, in the economy. And for some people, you know, they're going to go on a track that's going to require college and require, you know, really graduate school, uh, depending on what kind of career they want to pursue. But for others, there are very different ways that are available today to educate themselves, um, with with digital learning, I mean, hell, I mean, even with YouTube, I mean, I can, I learned how to do this podcast by just reading articles and watching YouTube. Um, You can self-educate yourself today in ways that were not even possible when we were young. So the key is, is to keep learning. And again, that's one of the reasons why I created the podcast is just to challenge myself, to learn about the technology, to learn how to be a good host and to, you know, keep developing, keep uh, moving the bar forward.
0: I feel like, though, the school system is not teaching that there's alternatives. I think they're trying to. There's a CET, CTE program, which is career training education. Um, but it's only affecting a small percentage of the kids. Yeah. And I think they, they it's all around going to college, go to college, go to college. And I think that they need to be a little bit more open-minded. Of I think that continued education, first of all, you're always going to get that. I'm looking at going to a thing this month that I could probably teach, but I'm going to go anyway, I think, because I think it'll just help me at this point. Well,
1: but, you're right. The, the, the schools definitely are pushing college. Um, those that, I mean, not everyone is a fit for college. Not everyone wants to pursue a career that requires college. And those alternatives are really not um, exalted, I guess is the right word in, in high school. You know, everything is focused on college. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of high schools are judged based on that, not just on graduation rates, but on, but based on college acceptance rates. So um, yeah, the the system needs to change. There's a great deal that is wrong with our public education system. And I would, frankly, if I were able to wave a magic wand, I would enact a a whole slew of changes. Um, But uh, you're right. I, I think that for some people, there are alternatives to college that, today in the year 2021 are, are fabulous and are great alternatives that, um, that give people wonderful opportunity.
0: Well, they say that uh, this external education, the kind of the stuff that I'm getting involved in could be worth a billion
1: dollars a day
0: in five years, possibly up to $4 billion a day worldwide. Oh yeah. Getting outside of your traditional learning situation, right? I was one of those people You could set me in a classroom all day and tell me shit. and I wouldn't, nothing. Take me out to the factory floor and show me how it's made. I get it, right? I'm much more hands-on when I'm learning like that. And um, I really like this organic kind of, I could write a, I was joking with somebody. I said, I could write a sales book. All my friends are writing sales books. And, you know, they're writing this book and that book and all this. I said, I could write a sales book in one page, one page. Because all you do, all sales is once you find who the customer is. If you approach that customer with the attitude that you're going to make a new friend, possibly, that's the best way to sell, right? You go and just like if, just like you and I met, right? You contacted me, I contacted you, we started talking about stuff. That's that's really a true sales guy. Now, if I told you, and you even then you even contacted me about shirts, right? I mean, so I kind of did a. I don't want to say I did a sales job because you you didn't buy it or my situation won't work for you. But that was the whole idea. You see, it was kind of a sales cycle, right? But it was just very organic. And um, that's how, you know, you're in a sales guys out there to fix customer's problems, but you got to gain that trust and build that relationship first.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Um, You know, it's unfortunate because a lot of people think a career in sales is that you're, you know, a guy working at a used car lot wearing a plaid jacket that doesn't fit right and and trying to force someone to buy something they don't want. Um, Sales is all about, like you say, it's all about relationships. It's all about problem solving. I mean, that's the reason people are out there doing business. They're trying to help solve other people's problems. And a good salesperson is a consultant, is a person that listens, that asks questions, and then can propose solutions. Um, So – you know, to your point, it is. It's all about relationship building. It's about making friends. And yeah, a number of my clients I consider to be friends. Um, they have made a big difference in my life, both personally and professionally. And some of them we go out to dinner and do things together. So, yeah, you're you're right on track.
0: Yeah. So one of my podcasts was about that storytelling, and and I said, you know, there's really two sides of it. So I told the story of my kind of my life, right, kind of a condensed version from when I grew up to now versus um, in a bad way, right I told you about all the bad stuff versus telling my story with all the positives I learned right Yes, my dad had some issues but you know he also taught me a lot of things blah 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 you know he died when I was 19 but then my mom met the greatest guy in the world. And I said, you know most importantly is that story you're telling yourself when you're looking in the mirror in the morning, what are you telling yourself about your day about how you look about and, and the other thing I used to tell, sales groups i say you know somebody loves you for some reason right is it your mom your dad your kids your your spouse your friends and you've got a you've got to express that to people and get let them get to know you like that so they fall in love with you right so i said sales is all about love yeah it's just getting that mutual respect and everything now i don't like when i was really in sales and i had hundreds of customers didn't like everybody, but I treated them all with the same thing. I, I remember there was a, I used to tell people, look, call me tomorrow. If I don't answer, it's because I'm with the customer. That's the only reason I wouldn't answer. Because they're they're the only person in the world when I'm seeing that person right then. I'll call you back. The other thing I used to do is if I got a sales call, I would pull off the freeway and answer that call before cell phones, before all the automated stuff in your car. Mm-hmm. because if you called somebody back within five minutes, your closing ratio went up to about 95%. Yeah.
1: huge. Yeah.
0: So I was always about that, you know, getting back to people right away. Um, and, and those are such simple little things. When I got into sales, I actually went to my, I was running the service department at Pepsi. And I, I went through a divorce and I was telling the guy, look, I need to make more money. I need to get back into sales. He says, Ed, you'll never be a good salesman. Do not go into sales. Trust me on this. So about a week later, I got a sales job. And when I was interviewing, it was on a Saturday, but it was up in Los Angeles. And I said to the guy, hold on, all I have to do is go talk to people, get them to buy your product and you'll pay me extra money the more I sell. Because I didn't know anything about sales. He says, yeah. I said, I'll take that job. That's the easiest job in the world. And I went to work and been sales for 35 years. So good, two lessons there. One, don't listen to people. They're not always right about your life. And secondly, as you approach things like that with a positive attitude, you can get a lot more down than with a negative attitude, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, here's a story that I think might be a fun one to discuss. So um, I was in college. My degree is in mathematics and computer science. And so I was, you know, on track to be a software developer. And it was something that I was good at, but I wasn't in love with. And, um, but it just felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And I was on this track, and I ended up was flying up to the Bay Area um, to, to interview with a company. And while I was in the airport, um, this is in 1987, I was in the airport, and I needed something to read on the airplane, and I saw the autobiography of Lee Iacocca. You remember him?
0: Oh, yeah. Heck yeah, I do. I read the, I think I read the book.
1: Yeah. So what that book changed my life um, because he was in a similar position. He was... An engineer. He had, um, I think he was at Lehigh University. I don't know if that was for his undergrad or his master's. And he went to work at Ford. And he was an engineer. And he was designing this spring inside a carburetor. And he was, you know, obviously getting it all dialed in just right. And, and he was good at what he did. But then he looked at the rest of the company and looked at the executives in the company that were the communicators that were the movers, shakers, the people that were earning really high income. Mm-hmm. And he wondered what what divisions of the company did they come from? And almost all of them rose up through the ranks of sales, in some cases through finance, but rarely from engineering. And he said, you know, I'm gonna make a switch. And then he went into sales and later on became, you know, really the father of the Ford Mustang. Yeah. Um, Help Build Ford into you know a great company, and then went on to become the CEO of Chrysler, um, which is a whole other story. But um, the point is, is that he recognized the value in sales. He recognized that he had people skills, and he could take his engineering knowledge, his his analytical ability, and be able to effectively communicate the value of what he is selling to his customers in either a technical or non-technical way, depending on their needs, and that blew me away. And so when I got back from that job interview and I had gotten an offer, you know, to go to work with this company, it was yeah. GTE, it was like a telecommunications company. This is in the pre Silicon Valley days of of the Bay area. Um, and I ended up turning that job down. And I, instead I went into a sales career in the computer industry and it has served me very well.
0: That's interesting. Um, I had something to comment on that. I want to talk about something you just brought up, but one of the things I have a problem convincing companies, and this is something I really believe, and I—I'm I, sure I didn't make this up. Nobody in sales now makes anything up; they've either regurgitated it or they read the Bible. Because I used to tell people, you know, the buy everything, every sales tool is in the Bible. By the way, I don't know if you're religious, but if you just read it, you'll find all it's the actually, sales too. Right? Be nice to people. Right, huh? <laughs> yeah, be nice to people. Help them solve problems. Be compassionate. All that. I um, used to tell, I was telling this one company, I said, you know, here's, I'm going to tell you what, you know, you asked me what the problem was. I'm going to tell you, okay? You have a a company with a sales department instead of a sales company in that particular industry, right? I'm not saying the industry because it'll tip off, but. Okay. So my point is everybody in the company from the guy who sweeps up at night to the guy who pays the bills is a salesperson in your company. And you can cultivate a culture like that. You could change the world in your company, right? Yes. If you just have a sales department and you're relying on six guys and girls to sell your products and the rest of the team, the rest of the company doesn't understand how important sales are, you're not going to, you can succeed, but not at levels like you would if everybody had that sales mentality. Right. right, So when that person calls into the phone, you're a salesperson when you answer that phone, and then it goes to operations and shipping and all those people, if they took the attitude as a salesperson, that upbeat, that let us, let me help you get whatever you need done, be that person of possibility on the phone, you could change the whole environment. What I see is that a lot of the leaders of those companies I'm talking to are either checked out, they've got enough money. They don't want to change the culture of their company or things like that. And they just, they they don't do anything, right? So they'll hire someone like me, like a sales manager. And I'll say, this is what you have to do. And they go, no, just do your job. Just sell more stuff. Well, I could sell a lot more stuff if you, you know, so you're just, you're treating sales as the, just as one little piece of your company. And when you do that, you're never going to get to the where you want to be. And what ends up happening is the sales manager ends up losing his job because he can't turn things around. I was with a company last year. They gave me 90 days. I didn't turn things around in 90 days. They cut my pay in half. I'm like, 90 days? Are you seriously? 90 days. Yeah. It can take 10 years sometimes. Hopefully, it doesn't take that long. And the cost of hiring somebody is and failing is so expensive. It's like Dude. five times what their annual salary is. But you mentioned something I would used to tell my kids, I read this in a book that you tell me who you're hanging out with, and who, what you're reading. And I'll tell you where you'll be in two years. Mm. And that's an interesting concept. Carson now is, you know, my grandson's going to high school. He's starting to hang out with some people that I don't know yet because it's a new high school for him and he's COVID the last 18 months. And it's, he, when I ask him who he keeps, it's like, why do you want to know who I'm hanging out with? I said, well, first of all, I'm going to, because I'm your grandfather, that's the first reason that I'm raising you. But secondly, it's going to tell me a lot about your path, right? Or where you're going. So books. I have two philosophies on reading. I had this guy that was reading all the time. Every time I'd see him, he's got a new book, new book, new book. Ed, you got to do this, you got to do this. I said, you know what, one of these days you need to stop reading those books and do the stuff you're learning in the books. <laughs> right yeah stop jumping to the next book stop jumping to the next book one of the best books i ever read is good to great right oh, by fantastic yeah, by jim uh, collins jim collins right the university sanford uh guy Stanford university professor most boring book the first three chapters is terrible it's like eating castor oil if you remember it's all about numbers right he's trying to he's trying to define what's going to make these companies good or bad and so most people that read that book probably stop reading in the first chapter and a half because but once he gets into the meat of the book the philosophies he shares are so important and talk about uh and this company I was talking about that the guy was the manufacturer's rep he started to he read this book they went and saw Jim Collins sat down with them he helped them with their culture of the company So I read that book probably 10 times. I called back to the company and I dealt with like middle manager, middle to lower managers. And I asked them about the book and how everything was going. They said, yeah, it's okay. It's a good philosophy. You know, everybody's, it's changed a little bit of things. I said, how far down does that book go? And it says that kind of stops with us. doesn't get any further down, Mm -hmm. which is one of the main parts of the book. It's supposed to get down to the bottom, right? It's supposed to go from the janitor to the CEO. And implementing culture change like that is typical. Would you agree with that? I mean, that's, that's hard to take a whole company. They had, I don't know how many employees. They had 350 employees and try to get everybody on that same page.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I've read a couple other books that were stuck at Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea was really a good book. That's the, M of the uh, Zappos guy, right? That actually just passed away last year. Let his money get to his head a little bit. Any favorite books out there you've read that are business books?
1: Well, you know, Good to Great is a fantastic one. And um, it comes up quite a bit in some of my client conversations. I mean, some of those principles are like getting the right people on the bus um, is huge. Yep. You know, as far as, you know, getting rid of people that aren't a good fit, you know, get the right kinds of personalities on, in your, on your team, get rid of those, you know, cancer agents. Um, and then you'll find the appropriate seat where they sit on the bus later um but you've got to get the right people on the bus other things like selling the mills was another concept there where you know identifying segments of your business that are not profitable not strategic things you might be able to outsource and just walking away from those things and having the the confidence and the balls to do it remember the Um,
0: walgreens story when they wanted to get out of the restaurant business yeah and he says uh and the guy says to him uh He said, you have five years to get out of the restaurant business. And like six months later or a year later, they get together. And he says, how's that going? He says, oh, we still had five years. He says, no, you have four years to get out of the restaurant business now. And something about the bus thing, remember when he, the guy from Wells Fargo was costing him like a million dollars a day, not to pull the trigger on some, he was waiting to get another salesperson or something. He had one more position to fill. And they said, are you crazy? This is costing you a million bucks a day. He says, yeah, but if we start with the wrong people it's going to cost us $10 million a day.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's kind of been my life over the last six months. I've had to make some decisions and I'm, and I'm not to convince my wife cause she's all on board with that. But if some people I talked to like Ed, you know, and I'm like, just sit tight. I, I got, you know, things are, I have to do this the right strategic way for me. Um, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You're getting ready to say something about it.
1: Well, yeah, there was, I guess, one other topic on that book is the flywheel effect. Love you that. Know, where where it's all about building momentum. Yep. And as that momentum builds, you you build uh, more power, more strength, better financial results, where companies often will do one thing, and then they stop, and they do another thing, and they can't build any momentum. Um, so that book was huge influence you know for me.
0: What's and, funny about that, I don't know a lot of kids that know what a flywheel is right so that that's kind of a that example's lost on our youth because i was much more mechanical as a child as a child and a you know teenager than we are now because
1: we we went in this is really dating me i was probably six years old in san francisco they used to have this place called playland by the sea Mm -hmm. and it was like a carnival and they had a fun house and all these rides and it was right there on the ocean in the city of san francisco and in the fun house they had this it was a flat surface and in the center was a wheel that was ground level and kids would sit on that and then they'd spin the wheel and then kids would start flying off of it (laughs) in all these different directions and you know this is probably what 1971 um crazy times but yeah the f- concept of a flywheel is is foreign to a lot of people these days yeah
0: <laughs> and getting yeah giving it to turn just a little bit and then hitting it every once in a while to keep it turning yeah yeah yeah
1: um,
0: and then the hedgehog was a great one now i'm not a big
1: oh yeah the hedgehog. fan of the hedgehog
0: because that it's not my personality right i don't have when he was, remember when he was talking about level one, two, three, and four and five leadership, right? Yes. I always kind of looked at that book and uh, to be honest with myself, I could never be a level five leader because of some of those traits that I don't have, but I could hire someone to do that, right? Yeah. And um, and I think, you know, that's a big thing. It's just to be honest with yourself and say, what am I, and, and, what, and I'm not sure, even sure you can learn that hedgehog philosophy. That was kind of a personality trait um, that you'd have to have. It's hard, hard to be me and a hedgehog guy at the same time.
1: Well, I'm trying to remember the whole hedgehog concept, but I know a big part of it is, is to be really good at one thing. Um, you know, to, to be the master of one rather than a jack of all trades. That was a big part of it. Um, so, you know, it's ultimately recognizing where your skills and resources are, where you have strategic assets and opportunities and focusing there and don't get distracted by all of the uh, the noise that's around you because there's always a shiny object that'll pull you off track you know yeah. it's just stay stay true to your core strengths
0: so when i was uh when i used to sell hvac products i called on engineers quite a bit and engineers are funny personality because you kind of call them up and say hey i'm going to come over and they say, well, what are we going to talk about? I said, red boxes, right? And if I get over there, if I mention blue boxes, they, I lose them, right? <laughs> so what I under, what I learned about engineers, and not bad people, just a different kind of thought process, that if I could get the engineer from the company that's, that made the product to talk to the engineer that was, I was trying to get to use project, the product, I'd get the sale 90% of the time. So yes. I really knew who to call. And... I got good at that. So if somebody needed something, they'd call me and say, hey, Ed, do you know anybody? And I get this today. I mean, I'll, I'll have a couple of calls a week. Ed, do you know who I should call to do this? Yes, I know who to call. I have a Rolodex in my head. I know someone who does that. Let me get, you know, they talk about the seven layers of Kevin Bacon or whatever. In Poway, I was there so long. I'm like one layer, right? If I don't know you, I know someone who knows you.
1: Yeah, you're definitely one of those guys.
0: Yeah, I know, and people will call me and say, hey, do you know anybody that does this? I'm like, yep, just give me your number, I'll text you, and I'll get them a worker. But another good book, uh, there's a guy named Matthew Kelly who is like the self-proclaimed, I guess, dynamic Catholic. Although he does a lot of his speaking is about Catholicism. He kind of makes it more understandable and more relative to your daily life, right? He and two other guys are big consulting firm out of Australia that would work with Fortune 100 companies all the time. And he's kind of, I think, left that behind. But he wrote a book called The Dream Manager. There's no religion in this book. But the philosophy in this was that there was a janitorial company, and I think it's a hypothetical company, and they were having a lot of turnover. So they hired this guy to come in and help people reach their goals in life. Could be college, buying a house, buying a car, whatever the Whatever that employee kind of felt like he wanted to do. And they hired a guy like me that knew everybody and knew the chamber and this and that. And people would come into my office, say, for instance, and they'd say, I really want to buy a car. So I'd call the local car dealer guy and he'd come down and say, well, this is where you need to be. This is how much you'll need down. And just did this with all kinds of different aspects. After a couple of years of this, their turnover rate stopped Uh, they stopped turning over. They were helping people get to college. They were helping people buy houses, this and that. They were paying commission to anybody that got an account, didn't have to be a sales guy. They had a line out the door to work at this place because they created this culture of help. We're going to help you. It's not your last stop in life. You don't have to clean bathrooms for the rest of your life. We're going to help you move on to that next. Think about that for five minutes, that philosophy. Well, not right now because I'm talking to you, but (laughs) think about that. What can you imagine doing that at a company? Do you I can't even fathom the success a company would have if they did that the right way. I don't know any company that's ever done it, but there's got to be somebody out there that's done it.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. Um to your point, I think you know, a successful company, everyone is a salesperson to some degree. Yeah. That they are all out there, you know, doing everything they can to make the company successful, presenting it positively to the public. And have their ear to the ground to look for new client opportunities, but sadly, not everyone is wired that way. Um, you know, some people just want to do their job. You know, you know, as a financial analyst, or they want to do their job in whatever specific segment of the business they do. Yeah, and that's that's an ongoing struggle. But I think it goes to your point earlier about leadership. If you have the right leader, you can create that culture. But it's very difficult, and it requires making a lot of very hard decisions.
0: One of, the, uh, one of the things this owner used to do, he would come to work, run up the stairs, go to his office, come down, go to lunch, come back, run up the stairs. And I said, you know, if you spent five minutes walking around your plant, right, around your warehouse and just said hello to people, didn't have to stop and talk to them. Yeah. Just say hello. Hey, man, what's happening? You know, this that. You know what the mileage you would get out of that? Huge. Huge. Well-
1: it's well it, it works in both directions um i one of my customers has a sign in his office and it says mbwa and you know at first you see it like mbwa you think it's mba like a master in business administration but it's mbwa management by walking around and yeah. the whole, the whole idea of course is as a leader you know you can go out there and interact with others and you know give you know, your employees, a direct connection, a personal relationship with you as a leader. But more importantly, you can really witness what's going on in your business. You can um, hear from your employees directly on the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's going on, um, you know, behind the curtain in the company. You can really be a more effective change agent by being out there amongst your troops. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a great philosophy. You know, there, it's, it's tempting as a leader to just sit in your ivory tower and make commands from up on high. But um, yeah, a good leader is one that's really connected with his people or her people.
0: Well, you know, Steve Jobs said it. I like Steve Jobs' business philosophy, not much about his personal life, but a couple of things he always said was nobody buys anything until we tell them. Nobody knows what they want until we tell them, which I think is really true. A lot of times in marketing, you have to encourage people, you know, you got to tell them what's cool. You got to tell them, he used to say Nike never sold shoes or clothes. They advertise, they celebrate athletics kind of thing, you know? So it's different than telling them you need to buy our shoes. You need to buy the shoes Michael Jordan wears because look at how great he is, right? He celebrate athletics. But he, um, oh, who's the other one I was going to say? But anyway, he, I always liked just his philosophy on a lot of those things. Oh, he used to say that we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. We smile. We hire smart people and ask them what we should do, right? right. You got you to gotta put these people in place and say, okay, dude, tell me what, what do we got to do to change this situation? Because we're not, it's not happening here. Instead of this, this is what the sales, I see a lot of these ads for sales managers and things like that. And They're saying, this is what you're going to do. You're all, it's all by numbers. It's all about numbers. It's not, sales is not all about numbers. I got news for you. It's about longevity. It's about, it's about that flywheel effect. You got to get that flywheel turn. Right. Any other books that stick out in your mind that you've read?
1: Well, recently um, I read the book um, about Father Joe, Life Stories of a Husband. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, I had Father Joe as a guest on my podcast a few months before he passed. Um, what an amazing guy. And yeah. You know, the, his backstory um, as an entrepreneur, even during his seminary days and his days as a, as a priest, is unbelievable. And business people would learn a great deal by reading that book, um, Father Joe, Life Stories of a Hustler Priest. And it's written by Catherine Cloward, who has also been a frequent guest on my show. Um, really good. Uh, just good stuff. But other books, like, you know what, one book that really made an impact in my life that was recommended to me at a young age was called The Richest Man in Babylon. and I've heard
0: of it. I have not
1: read it. It's a classic, and it's, it's all about personal finance and managing money, and it's written in parables of you know, people in ancient times in the city of Babylon, and it was remarkable, you know, just really about the value of managing debt, the, the value of, of saving, um, the value of making wise personal choices with your money. It's a very good book. Um, it's one that I frequently recommend.
0: And then uh, Simon Senek, which I think I say his name wrong, by the way. I think it's Sinek or something like that. Uh, start with why, right? Um, great book. I got a lot out of that book. Taught me a lot about things. I've also read his book, I, Leaders Eat Last. You know, he talks about the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I brought up in my podcast, I was listening. I had the, an Audible subscription. And I wanted to cancel it because I was paying and I was not getting books. But before I canceled it, it, a thing came up and said, hey, you have this many credits, like 13 credits. You should use these before you cancel your subscription. So one credit equals a book. So I ordered 13 books, a lot of motivational stuff and just some different things. And um, one of them is motivational speeches. And I was listening. Have you ever seen that? Navy SEAL, he's always in a uniform and he's talking about making your bed, right? You should always get up and make your bed in the morning. You probably have seen the clip or something on Facebook. And as I was driving over here to do a podcast, I said, you know, it's, it's hard for us to relate to a SEAL, right? To a Navy SEAL. Because yeah. they've had this training and it's motivating and all that, but it's hard to kind of get a, a grip on what they were through. The guy can explain it all he wants. David Goggins' You Can't Hurt Me is a great book. That is a direct book about, and a lot of working out people use that book because it's just, this guy is just no effing around. I mean, you just, I don't care if you're hurt, you do it. He's the only person that's done naval training, naval steel training, I think three times. But my whole point to it was, we look at these heroes, we look at the Simon Sinek's and Tony Robbins and all these guys that are, and they're hard to relate to. We should be looking for heroes and inspiration in our community and our families and you know local like stuff like Vern was one of my heroes right Vern and I only knew Vern I don't know five years maybe that's all I ever really knew him but if you watched how he worked the room and he wasn't working the room he was just being Vern right
1: yeah
0: (laughs) and some other people in the in our community that have done a great job people in my family and my kids sometimes the stuff they do I'm amazed by and my wife is my hero at times when she deals with what she deals with and so my whole point to that was just yes it's great to read those books and find those heroes in life but maybe we should be looking in our own circle of friends for heroes and inspiration
1: right yeah well, you know, there are quite a, there are quite a few people here that we can get insp- inspiration from in our hometown of Poway sure. um, or even in San Diego more broadly. Um, you'd be surprised at how many, well, you obviously know this, how many really brilliant um, and inspirational figures exist right in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you made a point earlier, like, have you ever worked for a person that, you know, you thought was a really good leader Um it's hard to find, you know, those very, you know, those people like Vern are very special. They're rare. Um, It's hard to find someone that's going to be that, you know, it's hard to find another Jesus, right. You know, someone that's going to have that perfection. I I tend to try to just get what I can from each person. You know, there are certain nuggets I learn from different people and I sort of blend them into, you know, something that works for me. Um, But, no doubt, especially, and this is something I, I would recommend to my younger self if I had that opportunity, is in my 20s is to really prioritize the idea of finding a mentor, um, finding someone that can help guide me, that can answer questions. Because for me in my 20s, I was kind of winging it. I was trying to f- sort of figure it all out on myself. And I think I could have avoided a lot of pitfalls had I had some better advisors.
0: And I was looking at, and one of the basics of uh, of my podcast was that I always say, I everybody I've ever met in my life, I found something positive in, right? I could always draw something out. I may not like those people, but there was always something they could do better, something they had a better attitude about that I did not. Um, I told you I changed a lot. When my first daughter was born, I did like 180 degrees. I mean, I was just... It wasn't even that I was negative. I was just a hard ass right i was just you know having kids humble you know humbles you and especially daughters and i have seven of them wow and i was reading a book another book one day and it said that these days this was like a two years ago is to get a mentor under 30 years old right (laughs) especially technologically when we're doing things like that yeah and i have a couple people a son-in-law here and there and some other friends that i do Talk to and open up about and get vulnerable with those people because they have a different perspective on life, right? I don't want to stop loving people. I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. I want to, I mean, I hope I do this till I just pass, just fall over in my chair here. I don't want to get cynical. You know, the movie Grand Trino. Uh, if you've seen that Clint Eastwood movie, it, I, I told my wife after we watched, I don't want to get like that that's how a lot of older people get right they get cynical and they just it's just like there's nothing positive anymore for them and um so that's why i love people i just love talking to them and finding those things and i think and i encourage my kids the same thing look yeah he might be a jerk but there's something good about him you can draw out of anybody you meet
1: well this is the beauty of podcasting is um we all have something to offer. We all have a, a life experiences that we can share. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I like to have three bullet points that I keep reminding myself in my podcast is I need to educate, entertain, and inspire. And if I can do any of those three or combinations of those three, then I'm going to be doing all right. Um, I personally, I mean, it sounds like you're the same. We We enjoy doing these podcasts because – we have we have things to offer. We have things that we can share. To your point, with younger people, that can make a difference in their lives. That yes. can you you can you can point them in directions that they've never considered, or help them avoid traps that are right in front of them, or maybe traps they don't even realize that they're in right now. Um, we we I think as podcasters, we offer a tremendous amount of value to the listeners out there, and I think if we keep that in mind, that if we're If we're here to educate and to help others, you know, frankly, isn't that, it's like sales, right? Um, You know, as podcasters, we're selling our message and we're really providing a solution to people out there that are looking for that kind of information to improve their lives.
0: 100%. There's that old thing, you know, that old saying that a guy stands up in a crowd and says, who wants change? And everybody raises their hand and he says, who wants to change? Now put their hands back in their pocket. (laughs) Um, Yeah. There's, everybody can, yeah, everybody can change. Everybody has the ability. Will they take that, you know, will they come will they overcome those limitations and try to change the, the way they want to be? Um, it's always funny that, you know, having children and so many daughters, um, and I've never really heard this from any of my daughters, but I've heard it from other uh, women in this case that, you know, he'll, when we, mar- we get married, he'll change. You know, that person's going to change. And you're like, yeah, probably not. In fact, as they age, they're probably going to get worse at what they do. And it might not even be a bad thing. It just might be something that that person doesn't care for. Those are those expectations we go back to, right? Um, my wife and I, and I did a podcast on expectations and I explained my wife and I's relationship, how we met and how we took four years to get married. And um, the smartest thing we did was kind of sit down and talk about those expectations i mean really deep down because i had been married already and she had been married and we said do i don't want to do this again so let's do this right you know and it made me 100 percent confident in my decision to marry her and vice versa so th- these are things in relationships and every relationship you have to talk about but we can get off on another track all right man did we save the world <laughs> pretty close huh
1: yeah yeah we, we yeah we did we uh we solved all the world's problems um there's peace in the middle east um it's all good
0: <laughs> oh that's another podcast I saw that you actually touched that subject on your i was on snooping around on your uh on your youtube channel and you actually got into that right
1: oh yeah yeah i'm there are no topics that I will shy away from yeah. good um, for you, i will but yeah. I mean, because it's, it's those difficult topics that I think need the most conversation. And then, you know, actually, it's those difficult topics that often attract audiences, too. Um, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, and, and there's a lot going on in the world today uh, to talk about, that's for sure.
0: I think that um, I was telling my wife when I do a podcast, especially if I'm doing it by myself, I'm a lot more calm than I am in real life. You know, I'm a lot more animated when I'm out there talking to people and I almost thought about starting to stand up again when I do podcasts because I have one of those desks that goes up and down because I think I lose some of my animation. If I was to talk about some of those subjects, I would get pretty animated about it. And it wouldn't be pretty, I can tell you. I'm a lot more, I get a lot more wound up. You have a very uh, even demeanor. I do not have that demeanor. I, and I know that and I, it's on purpose sometimes if I want to make a point The story I told you about the chamber before we got on, I just don't have that filter and don't want to, because it's not me, right? I grew up like that. Um, I try to keep everything on the podcast positive, although negative things happen in life. You have to talk about those too. The politics, I think, and and then we'll get off of here. I don't think I paid attention to politics as much as I've had in the last two and a half years, maybe three years. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not happy that I did start paying attention, to be honest with you. The, because when we were kids, the media, the way they approached things, and they could have all been lying to us, by the way, in the 80s, right? <laughs> we just didn't have as many outlets. Now everything is so convoluted. I, you really can't, you know, the other day, I'll tell you a funny thing, John. Was it last, last weekend, I looked on my phone at the weather and it said it was raining here in Penasquitas it said it was raining and i my wife checked hers and said it was we walked outside it was perfectly clear that's how that's and it was just some somebody pushed the wrong button on the weather the weather channel or whatever but that's what that's what's become in politics you know if, if they tell me the sun's out i got to run out and make sure it's the sun and not the moon and i can't i can't keep up you know
1: yeah it, it's it's crazy i mean the world has become more and more politicized there's a lot more nonsense out there, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, I will say this though that I think it's important to pay attention to political issues spe- spe- specifically in your local community because that's where it has the greatest impact on your personal life. I mean really, a lot of this conversation that's going on at the national level, and you know we can pick any one of the many topics out there, most of those issues is are things that have really minimal impact on your life. I mean, there are obviously some important things that have a huge impact, uh, but most of it doesn't have much, uh, it doesn't make a big difference. What does make a difference is you managing your own life. Um, you taking control 100%. of your own life and taking your own life seriously, and then paying attention to what's going on around you in your immediate community.
0: And I've said that a million times, and, and my kids will, if, if they had started to make an excuse about something, I'm like, nope, you have control over this. You, yeah. you know, um, when people say, oh, the economy, because there was times when the economy was bad when we were doing great and vice versa. I mean, there was just, yeah. um, generally I can go back in my life and pick out a point and say, well, that's when I was doing this or that, or this wasn't, this ne- didn't necessarily click, but I hung on to it too long or whatever the reason is. So I can usually pinpoint that. Well, John, I really appreciate you being on here. I've I've got a feeling we're going to be together again on a podcast about something else. So um, we'll, we'll try to come up with something so we don't bore everybody with what we just talked about, but you know, there's a million topics out there and listen, I appreciate your opinion. I like what you do in Poway. I appreciate that you do do those political um, get those people on to give like their, you know, give, give fair time. I should say to people, I appreciate that. Um. So how do you so you can go to John Riley Project on YouTube. I know that's where I've been going to see your thing. You can go to the john Riley Project Is it .com?
1: Yeah, John Riley Project.com is my website. You can okay. um, you can uh, sign up for my mailing list, get all the information, all my podcast episodes are there. You can go to another link I have connectwithjohnny.com, and that has all my social media links and all the podcast platforms you know where this is available on an audio only version um but uh yeah you know it's all about sharing the love and i I was really happy to have you on on my show um promoting you and the good work you're doing and this is how you know we're we we cooperate we're not competitors um and i look forward to i think there's a lot of things that we can talk about in the future particularly in business particularly about education you know there might be a a very narrow topic we can talk about in sales or marketing and just really share our personal experiences with it and the things that we've learned and lessons that we've, we've learned in some cases, the hard way that we can share with our audiences. I think that would be very beneficial uh, because you and I both have a lot of experience that we can bring to the table to help others.
0: One of the things that you tell people about salespeople, I said, you know, salespeople are, are like an artist, right? They're all a little eccentric, right? We all do things different, right? We all have our different approach to things. Um, we're all crazy for being in a, in a business that you get told no seven out of 10 times, right? And then at least you get, yeah, you get told seven, 10, 12, 15 times. Then you get one, you're like, I'm the king, right? And then you do it, then you go through 15 more people. So it's kind of a, Weird business to be in a quirky, we're all a little bit quirky and we do things a little bit uh, different, but that's, I think there's, that's part of the attraction too. Like I said, yeah. there's, there's a lot of components to it that we can, and like I said, we can get into that another time. So anyway, I really appreciate you being on. I love your podcast. I've been going on and checking out ones here and there to kind of, you know, uh, see what's up. Um, I should say welcome to Poway since I've been there so much longer than you. It's like welcome to Poway, although you've been there a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you, well, you just live across the street now, right?
0: I do. So I live over in uh, North, I guess you'd call it Northwestern uh, Pinalskitis. Okay. So there's a reason for it, a logistic reason. I needed to move over here, but um, and it was a good change for us. So um, anyway, Ed Franklin. Uh, at gmail.com, if you want to contact me, I don't have a website yet. I'm working on that. Ed Franklin.No Limits podcast, YouTube, iHeart, Anchor, Spotify, all those places you can find it at if you want. John, I really appreciate this. I'm going to send you the link uh, for this podcast so you can do what you want with it. And I'm going to put this on Facebook and put it on all my platforms. But um, yeah, you're teaching me some things. You're doing a great
1: job. I like your background there.
0: That's cool. And is that a green screen or is that real? No, it's real. Okay, cool. That's a yeah. nice background.
1: It's uh, uh, They're real and they're spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> do you
0: those. have people come to your... I know sometimes you guys do across the desk. Do they come to your place?
1: Yeah. Well, that's what we used to always do pre-COVID. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the world changed. So now we're doing a lot more this way. But I would love to have more, more guests in my studio because... Yeah. The conversations are more real.
0: I'd like to see your studio one of these days. I want to check it out because I'm going to have to do something like that. Hopefully, in the, in the future. Well, so, you're
1: welcome to come by. Maybe our next maybe our next podcast should be in person. And, that's a good idea. And one of the things I was thinking about doing was like a little short, four or five minute video, just showing people my podcast studio and how I have it set up because some people find that very interesting.
0: Oh, no, that'd be cool. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Stay on for just a second. And um, anyway, limit podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Please share my podcast. I know John will, and um, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.